Glad to see you this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. Thanks for being here today. And i um, got a real exciting day. It's been a, it's been a crazy week um, for my family, and I'm sure it has been for yours too. Give you a chance here um, before we get started today to, to kind of get a deep breath and get some perspective. Um, Reese and I had a, we call him a daddy date. He probably won't call him that when he's 13, but um, right now he's six, so daddy date is cool enough. Um, but we had a daddy date Friday night, and we went and rented, this is all I can afford, we went to the Red Box and rented a Wii game, you know. Um, that's about all I can do on a date these days. And um, we went to the Red Box, and we got this, this game, and he had never played it before, and he doesn't play a lot of video games. We have the old Wii from a long time ago, and we don't have any games for it. So he doesn't play a lot of video games, and we thought this would be fun. So we sat down to play these video games, and he just couldn't do it, you know. He just couldn't physically do the game, you know. And, and I was doing it, and I'm not... I don't play video games either. I really wasn't very good. And he was just frustrated. And he, the more he played, the more he just started crying and getting frustrated. It was supposed to be fun. There was supposed to be a big picture here that Daddy and Reese got to hang out, just the two of us. And the more we played this game, the more frustrated he got. And the more he just got out of control, crying. Crying and screaming and, like, not throwing things, but close, you know. And as a dad, I just keep, I, I looked at him with this feeling, and I know what, it, I know what he must have thought that, Dad, this isn't funny, but I couldn't help but laugh. Here he is just going nuts about a video game that means absolutely nothing. Here's the thing. Reese completely lost perspective on his whole life in that moment. In our basement, he screamed and cried and kicked, but I could see that it was nothing. It was a stupid video game. In the long run, it means nothing. What's more important is how he reacts when he's disappointed. What's more important is that his dad and he get to hang out on a Friday night. And I, I don't know if, if how you're feeling today, and this may offend you. And if it is, I'm sorry, but if this offends you, you're going to be offended by something else I said today anyway. So we're just going to start there. But this may offend you, but it could be, if you come in today and you feel like Reese, that kind of screaming and crying fit, you know, over your life, you feel like a victim? That was the funny thing about Reese. Everything he said, he was like a victim. It's like, Dad, these games are stupid, and they, they don't know how to make them. And that, you know, it's like every, everything bad in the world has happened to me. And oh me. And he was a victim. And that's how we lose perspective on our lives. That's how we completely throw a fit about the things in our life. We lose perspective because we get so self-absorbed. Everything becomes about me, and the world is against me. And if you're, if you're in that place today, you know what? There is something that feels a little bit good about that. Because if you're the victim, you have an excuse for acting out. You have an excuse for not being the person you want to be. You have an excuse for being, saying something to somebody that you wish you hadn't. You have excuses if you're the victim. And so that's why you do it. That's why your brain does this. But here's the thing. Your soul and I know if you're visiting with us today, you're going, okay, here it is. The preacher is going to talk about soul. And I am today because here's what I believe. The soul in you is the most important, most valuable thing you have. And if you act like the victim your whole life, and if you decide to react to the world and to the things around you the way Reese did, you completely lose perspective on your life, then you need to know that you will live life with a broken soul. You will live life broken. And God says in, in a lot of different places that if you can get your soul right, if you can get your soul healthy, then downstream, you'll get perspective on your life. You'll be able to deal with the things in your life. Not that things go away, not that problems go away, but that you can deal with them differently. And you don't end up on a Friday night in the best time with your family, making it so much about you. I finally had to turn off the game for Reese. And the funny thing is, he's screaming, crying, hates the game, but as soon as I turn it off, he's mad that I turned it off. 
Because the, the truth is, he wants to get it right. He wants to do it until he feels good about it. So we turned it, I turned it back on. I said, but listen, you need some perspective. And I actually said this to Reese. He's doing that, you know, that weird cry that you do? Not just kids, adults do this too. That, <laughs> that thing where you get out of breath. And he was doing that. And so I had to say, now Reese, hang on. Take a deep breath. Breathe, breathe, breathe. And the more he breathed and the more he sat in silence, the more he got perspective. And we played the rest of the night. We're both awful, and it didn't matter anymore. We got perspective on the fact that it doesn't matter how we play this game. And you need to know today, that's what Sunday is for you. Did you know that God, God the, the priority that God puts on you being at church is really low? You might think that you get like a check mark from God, like there's a big chart in heaven. Did, did Jimmy go to church today? Yes, check mark. God doesn't care. I mean, not that he doesn't want you to come to church. He does, but this isn't what he wants from you. What he wants for you is for this moment to be that deep breath like Reese got. He wants for this moment to be that moment of breathe, breathe. Get some perspective on your life. Take a deep breath because you don't want to miss the things that are important around you. So that's what we're going to do. All that illustration to say this. Breathe. Just a little bit this morning. And if you can walk away from this place today, if you can walk away from this place with a little bit of perspective like Reese got, just a little bit of an understanding that you're not a victim. No matter what's going on in your life right now, it stinks, there's awful things going on in your life, but if you feel like a victim today, if you talk like a victim today, you can't have a, a place in your soul where you can move forward with hope and peace and joy and the thing God, things God want for you. And if you can walk out of here today realizing you're not in charge and, so, and God is, then this time is useful. So I want to give you a chance to do that. What we do every week is before I preach, because I need it, um, I pray that God would give me that deep breath and some perspective on my life so I don't say things that I wish I hadn't while I'm up here. Um, sometimes I'll be at home and somebody will call me during the week on a Tuesday and say, John, do you know what you said this Sunday? I'm like, oh no, what did I say? You know? Or I'll listen back to one of my sermons and go, I can't believe I said that. I've got to pray right now that I don't do that. And if I, if I don't have this moment, I'll say something I don't want to this morning. So would you, if you would, just take that deep breath. Imagine that you're Reese sitting in the basement playing this video game and you've lost perspective, all perspective on life, and you need a deep breath today. And let's take that together and then we'll get started. God, the truth is, most of, us, most of us in this place today have lost perspective in one way or the other. We've forgotten what brings us real joy. We've pursued the things that look good or taste good or feel good. We've pursued them so hard that they have pushed us away from the things that matter most. And so today, no matter how far we've gotten from you, we remember the picture that you painted for us. That we can't ever get far enough from you where you turn your back. So today, God, no matter how far we've gone this week, we pray that you would draw us back in, that you would give us that perspective that we need, that you would draw us to you today. God, there's scary health problems in this room today that to us seem like the end of the world. 
to us seem like a matter of life and death, and they maybe are a matter of physical life or death, but we know just like I could look and see Reese and see his loss of perspective that you have a bigger picture, and today we want that. We just want a glimpse of what it would feel like if our soul wasn't at risk because our body seems to be. Pray that you would give us a moment of peace today in the midst of a storm of our life. And you'd be honored by the way we listen in your son's name. Amen. Well, I'm in the fourth week of this series about your soul. And if you haven't heard any of the rest of the sermons, they're all online. You can find the place they're online. Um, and uh, they're right there. Um, and you can, if you want to, um, listen to any of those sermons and kind of get caught up. I'm going to give you a quick kind of synopsis of some of the things that this morning um, we're going to cover and that we've covered in the last couple weeks. But I, I want you to know that, um, that your soul, as we get through this series, that your soul I- is real. You know, we talk about soul in all different kinds of ways, and you hear it in songs, and we have uh, so many phrases. If you think about all the phrases that we use, like, you know, your eyes are a window to your soul. What does that even mean? I don't, I don't know what these... We make up these things that have to do with soul, and we talk about heart. Have you ever heard somebody talk about heart? I'm sure you have. You've talked about heart. We talk about it on the, on the sports field. Today, we want the Colts to play with heart. And if they don't play with heart, they will lose bitterly again. And we, what do we mean by heart? Well, we don't literally mean that physical thing that's pumping inside their chest, although they need that. That's not what we mean when we say we want them to play with heart. What we mean is we want them to dig deeply into the deepest part of who they are and play very hard. When, you're, when, you, uh, when you talk to somebody who just feels like it, they're in love, they talk about their heart. And what they mean is not this physical thing that's swollen because they think this girl's cute and they want to spend the rest of their life with her. What they mean is that the deepest part of me has connected with the deepest part of somebody else. So if you're here today and you go, oh, here comes the preacher talking about soul. I don't even believe there is a soul. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You know in the deepest part of you, even if you don't believe in God today, if you're listening online or if you're here in the day and you're kind of just going through the motions of the church thing today and you don't even believe there's a God, you know in the deepest part of you somewhere there is something deeper than you can see or feel. There is something deeper than the doctors can dig in you and find. It's the deepest part that makes up who you are. And it's so incredible to me. I meet with a lot of people and I talk with a lot of people who don't believe in God. In fact, as a Christian, I think it's been one of the best things of my life. If you're here today and you don't ever talk to people who don't believe what you believe, you need to find some people who don't because you're getting selfish. I can promise you that today. If you're sitting here as a Christian, if you're sitting here as a God follower or a Jesus follower, and you have completely uh, quarantined yourself from anybody who doesn't believe what you believe, you're becoming more selfish every day, and I promise that. So come talk to me afterwards, because I'm ready to fight for that. Jesus said this, I I came to hang out with people who don't think and feel the way I feel. It's incredibly healthy, and the more I've gotten older, the more I've realized this is what feeds my soul. Part of the thing that feeds my soul is finding people who don't believe what I believe, not to convince them that they should believe what I believe, but to do life with them, to understand different perspectives. And when I do, I find out the number one reason that people don't believe in God. This is the number one reason, not because they believe that the earth or the universe is too big or the Big Bang or evolution, not any of those things never come, don't usually come up. If they do, they're kind of secondary to the number one reason. The number one reason people don't believe in God is because of suffering. They believe that there couldn't be an all-loving God because of all the suffering that goes and takes place to innocent people in the world. They believe that, and I don't blame them for believing that because it doesn't make sense to our human minds, and I'm not here to explain that today. But you know what's amazing? Those who are my friends who are Christians, and by the way, 
I need them desperately in my life. I need to surround myself with Christian people who do believe what I believe and understand what I understand and that we are on the same page because it feels like teamwork at that point and I need that too. I need both of those things in my life and when I do surround myself with people who believe what I believe, you know what I hear? If you ask people who believe in God when they grew most spiritually, their answer will be suffering. So the very thing that causes people not to believe in God or to be frustrated with God or to be mad at God is the very thing that after people have grown spiritually and feel as though their soul is a little more intact, they begin to say, I would not be who I am had it not been for the suffering in my life. Not that I would have chosen it, not that I'm not still mad at God a little bit for why this has happened, but I am a different human and I would choose who I am today over who I was then because of suffering. So part of the reason I want to say that today is that if you come in here and you're, um, you're so clouded with the suffering in your life, and suffering means something different for every single soul in these pews today, and you're so consumed with the suffering in your life, you will not hear the importance of what I'm going to say today. If you're so consumed with that, if you've become a victim of that, you will miss out on the growth that comes from understanding what God wants most for you. And I, I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this last sermon series, or this last sermon in this series, about fishing. I always think about fishing. I mean, I, I, I don't mean always. I mean always. I'm, in the back of my mind, there's always this place I can go that is a pristine lake at 6 o'clock in the morning with my dad in the front of the boat and like a squirrel shaking a tree in front of me and then a topwater bite for a bass. I think about it. That's the place I can go if I need to get peace. Uh, and it is. As I was writing this sermon, I was getting a little anxious about how important this sermon was and who would be here today. And I started thinking about fishing. And it, it reminded me, um, sitting in a boat, when I was growing up, my dad, all my friends and their dads had these big bass boats, which now dad finally got one. Um, but throughout my life, we had the junkiest, trashiest, most hillbilly boats you could possibly imagine. And it didn't, it didn't stop my dad from fishing in tournaments with the guys with the, the big bass boats. And we would fish in these tournaments, and we'd have a 14-foot boat that he had put about 800 pounds of plywood in to try to make it look like a bass boat. And then we had holes in the bottom, and so we would fish for 15, 20 minutes, and then he'd go, all right, boys, time to bail. And we'd pick up our cans and start bailing water until the water levels got low enough that we could fish a little bit more. The nice thing is we had a built-in live well. You just throw it in the bottom of the boat, and the fish just live. But we had... We had junky boats my entire life growing up. Now dad, dad waited until I was out of the house to buy a brand new Ranger. It's beautiful, and now he doesn't have to bail, and it's, it's so much different. But when I was a kid, there was, there was one thing that you absolutely had to have in this boat that was precarious. This was a precarious boat. A lot of you have jalopies in the, in the parking lot out here. My dad had a jalopy boat, and it is, that's exactly what it was, and it was one after another after another. And the one thing we had to have with us, no matter what, was an anchor. You had to have an anchor when it came to fishing because my dad's boat would get so blown all over that lake. It was a small boat, and we were on a big lake, and it would get so blown all over that lake, you couldn't fish, you couldn't think if you didn't have an anchor. And so we would bass fish, and we would we'd fish with a trolling motor a little bit, go down the bank, and pretty soon the wind would blow, much like the wind blows in your life. It just gets crazy. It, just, it gets out of control. And the boat starts to move, and things start to go crazy. And the anchor is at the back of the boat, and you just don't think about it. And your lure gets hung up on it every now and then until the wind really gets bad. And then the most valuable thing in your boat is your anchor. The most valuable thing is something that you can throw out of the boat that will keep you stable. And I, I thought of that today because here's the thing. In your life and in my life, there are moments where you will just, the life will be out of control. 
Somebody passes away that you would have never dreamed. A sickness. An issue that's just completely out of your control. Life begins to go crazy. You're the jalopy. You're the boat. Some of you are taking on water. You're leaking. And you've got to bail. You, you, your life is not what you intended for it to be. And, it, and it, you're totally out of control. The one thing you have to have is something that you can count on to anchor you. And so look at this piece of scripture. Next slide. This is something I, I, when I saw this last night, I got a little cold chill because I love to fish and I thought of this. Look at this. Here's what Hebrews says. We think the writer of Hebrews is Paul, but there's a lot of people who disagree with that. But whoever wrote this says this. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Firm and secure. So if you don't hear anything else I've said in this series, you need to know that what God intends for your soul to be, what God intends for him to be, is an anchor at the very deepest part of who you are. If you feel out of control today, with your weight, with a habit, with addiction, with family, with money, with something, if you feel like you're completely out of control, what you desperately need most is an anchor for your soul. And that's how I want to end this series today. I want to talk about that. An anchor, as the Bible talks about it for your soul, is a soul that is, the way the Bible talks about it, is redeemed. It's, it's, it's dependent on God now instead of it on itself. A redeemed soul is a soul, as the Bible says, that's, that not, that's not at risk. And if you've ever met a person like this, um, I've got people in my life, I'm so thankful for these people in my life because I'm a person who doesn't have a lot of faith right off the bat. I'm not a person who just believes things, um, which I used to be really frustrated with. I, wished, I used to wish that, was, you know, that I would get that gift of just kind of faith, and I just kind of believe. But I think it makes me a better preacher because <laughs> uh, I really have to dig into things. And I, when it comes to, to life circumstances and when it comes to things like the word soul and like, like this whole faith thing, I start to get a little bit shaky sometimes about how reality matches with what I'm saying and what I read in the Bible. Until I meet somebody, until I meet somebody or I live with somebody or I have a family member who just really gets this, who really digs in so deeply with God, who makes such a connection at a soul level. Now here's the thing. We found out in the, in the series that your body is made, your, you are made up of lots of different things. You're made up of your mind, your will, your body, and then your soul is what holds you all together. And here's the thing. This is why church doesn't really matter very much if your soul's not connected. Because you can bring your body here. And it doesn't, you can walk out of here the exact same person you were. You can bring your body here. You can bring your mind here. You can come and take notes. I see this all the time. We've got people now that are really smart. They're taking pictures instead of notes of the screen up here, you know. So I'm in all these stupid Facebook pictures, and I'm going, you know, weird shots because they're taking pictures of the screen. And, and that's a great idea. And you, you need your mind to engage while you're here. So you can bring your body, and you can bring your mind. You can even bring your will to church. Today, you can even come and go, I'm going to do this. Once and for all, I'm going to be the person I want to be. You can bring all three of those things, but listen to me. All of them are worthless if your soul is a mess. Because your soul is what binds them together. What God wants to do most is impact the deepest part of you. And when that happens, when that impact takes place, it looks different than anything else in our world. When, when you meet somebody who has internalized that, who really does have an anchor to their soul, it changes the way you think about God and all of this. It does. And if you don't know anybody like that today, come see me because I can introduce you to people. Because those people are so unselfish in their life that nothing is more important than sharing with you how to get that soul clean. And it is amazing. I, my grandfather, 
um, had a soul like this. He had a soul that was so deeply connected with God. Now, when you think of this, you might think of somebody who's very pious. I hate that word. A pious person is, although it has the word pie in it, which I do love. Um, But um, the word pious usually means that I'm doing some things that have earned me a status of some sort, a sainthood. Or somebody looks at me and says, well, he's really good because he has a long Bible study or he has a good prayer life or whatever. But these people aren't pious people. They're people who have somehow in their life been able to not think of themselves as a victim and to be able to dig into the deepest part and make connection with the deepest part of God, with the deepest part of who they are. And when it does, my grandfather was like this. I've never met a man who was so in the moment with you. When you sit with my grandfather, who passed away many years ago now, when you would sit with my grandfather, as a young person, I, I felt the difference. You sit in a room, and if you've ever met a person who doesn't need to be the smartest person in the room, even though he probably is, he doesn't need to be the most good-looking person in the room, he doesn't need to be the coolest person in the room, he doesn't, every time somebody says something, start going in his brain, well, now what have I done like that, because I think I could do better than that. When you're in the presence of somebody like that who is so confident, who has such an anchored soul, just being with them changes who you are. My grandfather was like that to me. He had white hair. And his white hair, he looked like, like Gandalf, you know, like, like I called him Grandpa, you know. He was like, he was like Gandalf from, from Lord of the Rings, and he, was, he just had this wizard-like look to him, and he, just, he was just different. His eyes were different. When he looked at me, it's as though he could disappoint me if he needed to. Or he could bless me if that was the right thing to do. But he wasn't going to hold back on the truth. Everything he said to me had so much confidence and so much hope in it. And I'm telling you, this is, this is a man, one of the most educated men I've ever known. This is a man who had made connection at the very bottom of his soul with God. Now you would think, you would think that at that point, God would do something to my grandfather. That he would like put a bubble over him. I always expect this is what God would do. If I were God, and good thing I'm not, if I were God, what I would do is find somebody like my grandfather who has, had, who has made that connection, who has got it, who has figured it out, and I would go, you know what, Al, you're different. You've got a bubble. No problems for you. You're going to have a big bubble around you. No more problems for you. But in, in fact, it was almost like God, it was almost like God said, you know what, you, you can handle a little more. So when my grandmother died, she died a pretty bad death. He said about her that she was his Eve. <laughs> um, and I'll never forget that, the way he talked about her, the way he looked at her, the way he talked to her, the way he spoke about her even after she died. And he stood up at her casket. Many of you have heard me say this because it was such an impactful point in my life. At his funeral, at her funeral, he stood over her casket broken, like you can imagine. And he looked at her and I said, what are you thinking? And I was expecting him to go, well, I'm thinking that she'll be in heaven and they'll be waiting. And he said, I'm thinking either I believe this or I don't. Either all this is true or it's not. All my life has led up to this. And he said, and he looked over at me and I thought, oh Lord, please let him say he believes this because if he doesn't, I don't know what I believe anymore. He looked over at me and he said, and John, I believe this with all of my heart. And I think for that moment, he said that to me. Even in the midst of his despair, he said that because he wanted to see my faith increase. And as he got older, he got leukemia. And I never met a man that was as sick as he was, and in some way, you were still the most important thing in the room. In the hospital room, in the midst of his chemotherapy, you walk into the room, you are the most important person in the room. With all the stuff hooked up to him, somehow you left feeling better. (laughs) 
when he was feeling worse. And I need you to know this morning that that is available to you. It's not because he's smart. It's not because he's a good person. It's not even because at some point he had some quiet time with God and he began to develop these habits. It's because at the very core of who he is, he decided to make connection with his creator. He decided that the little things in life weren't as important as the big things. And he began to sacrifice the little things so that he could attach himself to the only things that matter. And when he did that, it became such a habit for him that he didn't have to try like that anymore, like we do every day. And you need to know today that wherever you sit, whatever's going on in your life today, it's available to you right now. You have it in you. To have a soul that's not at risk. When you looked at Grandpa, you would just, you just, he knew what he was. He knew where he was going. He knew this wasn't his home. He knew that he did have a bubble around him and that he would see that bubble when he got to heaven, that he had that protection from God. Romans says it like this, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're dealing with something really harsh right now, if you've got medical problems, if you've got family problems at home, if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling scared especially, write this thing down and read it every day. This is what happens to a person who has decided at the deepest part of who they are that they are going to make connection with God at all costs. Paul was a person who lived a much harder life than you have right now, I promise you. This is a guy who was at, every day at risk of getting his head chopped off. How would you like to wake up in the morning and wonder if there's a Roman soldier on a horse outside ready to chop your head off? This is the way he woke up. It reduces your problems. Yeah, the bill collectors are coming, but they can't legally chop your head off. His could legally be chopped off at any time. He had a fear that was deeper than ours. He had life that was harder than ours. And he got to say, something in me at the deepest part of my soul says, I'm convinced that neither life nor death, you know what life is, that's the circumstances, nothing in this life, even death, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God. What would it look like in your life? Pretend that you could have full confidence right now, and I know you don't, I know I don't, 100% confidence that nothing could separate you from God, that nothing physically, nothing emotionally, nothing on earth, nothing in heaven, nothing could separate that, that connection that you have with God, that that's the most important thing. What would it look like? It would be authentic humility. You know what authentic humility is? It's when you, when you walk into a room and, you're humble and you don't expect somebody to go back. Boy, you're so humble. <laughs> it's that authentic humility that makes everybody in the room feel different when you're around. <laughs> to speak with complete confidence and honesty. To share without thinking. I've told you before, my mom does this, and this is a person who's connected with her soul at the deepest part of God's soul. And I don't know how many cars they've given away now because they have two, and She'll call my dad from church and say, can you need to come pick me up? Well, what's wrong with your car? I gave it away. I, we have two, and I met somebody who didn't have one. Dad, and dad's used to it now. He knows the game. All right, I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> and you know what? If she'd have thought just a moment the way I would, she'd have gone, well, how am I going to get home? And then after that, how am I going to get to work tomorrow? And by the way, I've paid a lot of money for that car, and I worked really hard for that car. But here's what she does. She just gives it without thinking. 
And I know that, that can, there's some irresponsible things that follow that, and, and don't take that too far. What I mean is this, that she doesn't think about the, reper- the repercussions to her life and to her things and to her finances when it comes to giving to others. Her first inclination is not to feel like a victim. It's to feel like a giver. Hey, you've done this before. You ever been to a food pantry or to a, to a place where you can feed people who have less than you do? Have you ever given a little bit of money someplace and seen it actually make a difference? Have you ever volunteered at the mall and at the, day, at the end of the day go, thank God that's over and thank God I got to be a part of it? That's the way I feel at the mall. Thank God that's over and thank God I got to be a part of it. Both of those things are mutually true. And, and there's this feeling of this is the kind of person I want to be. Can you imagine if every decision you made was like that? That's available to you. When you can think When you can give without thinking, when you can see without judging, every time, it changes who you are. Here's the thing, you can can dedicate that today to you. I see this online on Facebook all the time, especially there's a group of people out there that hate judgment, and they hate judgmental people, and I understand that, and I agree, and so did Jesus. But the funny thing is they're becoming so judgmental in the way that they talk about their judgmentalism. They're judging all the people who they say are judging. And, and, and it just develops this kind of a thing in them. And it makes them matter than the people that are actually doing the judging in the first place. And see, the, what Jesus said was, you, you, you become this person. You don't try this. You don't try to become a person who doesn't judge. You can't just make your mind be this. You can't make your will choose not to judge people. You can't make your body not go like this when you see somebody who's a little overweight. <laughs> You can't make physically these things happen for very long. And you can't make your mind not go, oh. Unless you dedicate your soul first. And when you dedicate your soul to the deepest part of who God was, is you begin to see completely different. I don't want to leave this sermon in this series without reminding you of this story. If you haven't heard this, this is the way I started the series and the way I believe God wants you to think about your soul. This is a story, a made-up story completely about a city up in the mountains where the river, a stream, runs through the city. And at the top of the stream lived a man named Earl who lived at the top of the stream his whole life, and his job was to keep the stream clean. It was to keep the junk out of it because down in the city there were kids that played in it and people, tourists, came to the city just because the stream was so beautiful. The stream was giving life to the whole city, and at one point they decided they need to save some money, so the city decides they're going to fire Earl. We don't need Earl anymore. So they let Earl go, and for a couple weeks, the money seemed good, and they didn't have to pay Earl anymore. But after a couple weeks, dead fish started floating downstream. And the stream got gross and nasty and awful, and nobody tended to it. Nobody kept the stream anymore. So the kids quit playing in it. People stopped coming to the city, and the city began to die slowly. According to the Bible, according to this book I've been reading called Soul Keeper, your soul is the stream, and you're Earl. You're the keeper. So here's what you need to know about your soul. You only have one. Now, we're going to see some things today that you only get to see once every now and then. We're going to see a couple people today come and be baptized, and if you're not careful, you're going to think of this with your mind and with your body, and you're going to go, oh, somebody's underwater. But the idea of this is at the deepest part of who you are, the deepest part of who you are, you're giving your life over to the one who gave you one and only, your one and only soul. The one and only soul you will ever have. Your job is to keep the soul. It's to keep it clean upstream because the things that come floating down in your life, 
the bad attitudes, and you've done this before, you've yelled at your kid, you've yelled at your husband or your wife or a friend, and then right after, immediately gone, what in the world was that? You know what it is? It's dead fish in your stream. And you can clean the fish out. You can go, honey, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to work really hard not to say that anymore. But guess what? If your soul's still a mess upstream, you're going to say it again. You're going to do it again. If you've got addiction in your life and you're just trying really hard, I'm trying really hard. My body is trying hard. My mind is trying hard. And my will is choosing not to smoke anymore. My will is choosing not to do this. But upstream, your soul is a wreck and you haven't dedicated it to the deepest part of God. You need to know you're just... You're just cleaning out dead fish and you're missing the point. So be- before we leave this series, I want to give you some real practical things. Some real practical things. This is where you can take a picture of this slide because there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. There's a whole bunch of stuff in here. Changing your soul habits. Changing upstream. What happens upstream? Changing your soul habits will truly, honestly change your life. Now what we want to do is the opposite. We want to change the details of our life, hoping that it makes our soul better. If I could just lose weight, I'd be the person I want to be. If I, could just, if I could just quit smoking, I'd be the person I want to be. If I could just spend a little more time in the Bible, I'd be the person I want to be. But the problem is, you get those dead fish cleaned out, but they just more coming. And if you can begin to change the habits upstream, the habits of your soul, it will begin to change your life the way you intend for it to be, and the way God intends for it to be. Your soul needs to be with God. This is a good place to start that, but don't think that there's only one hour a week that God wants you to spend with Him. You need a place to, to be with God on a regular basis. In my house, I, I have this picture of the stream starting, and the top, and my top of my stream starting on in the morning before anybody ever wakes up in my house. And I've developed a habit where I get up early in the morning. And when I was a kid, I, I remember people used to say, you know what, when, if you're not a morning person, whenever is good for you. But what I found out in my life, and I, I believe this to be true of most of us, if I don't start my day like this, by 10 a.m., I'm a victim. By 10 a.m., I'm already whiny Reese, but the world is against me. And I'm already so wrapped up in myself that by the time I get to my God time, I'm already going, but God, the world is against me. And I'm already a victim to God. And I've already lost it. But if somehow I can get up in the morning and before I do anything, you would not want to see me at this point because, you know, this hair is kind of a weird thing. And when I sleep on it all night, it starts looking like a rooster. You don't want to see me when I'm spending my God time because I don't even brush my teeth. I get a cup of coffee because not even God wants to talk to me until I've had a cup of coffee. And I get a cup of coffee, I sit with my rooster flop, and I don't even brush my teeth. I am sitting there with God before I do anything else because I know when Reese comes down that stairs, he's going to start lollygagging. That's what we call it in our house. That's slow moving. Reese, get your clothes on. All right. Reese, we're going to be late for school. All right. And if, I, if I'm not okay upstream, I'm going to say things to him that I are dead fish in my life that I don't want. I've got to find time to be with God. You do too. If you're sitting here today and you're going, yeah, but I'm, I'm, John, I don't know what to do about all this. I can tell you exactly what to do about your stream. First thing tomorrow morning. You get up earlier than you thought. Well, yeah, but John, I, I have to get up so early already. Well, then go to bed earlier. Well, yeah, but then there's a show on. See? See what we do? The biggest, most important part of you, you gave up to watch a rerun of something you've already seen the night before. Your soul needs rest. We don't do this anymore. God called it the Sabbath, and it was a commandment. The reason it was a commandment was because it's so instrumental to the part of you. Your soul needs rest. You need a chance to take a deep breath in your life. Your soul needs freedom. If you're a person who works for money, 
you go, well, what do you mean, John? Don't we all work for money? No. You don't have to work for money. Did you know that? Now, you have to have money. And you have to work. But your work can be more than money. No matter what you do today, you don't have to go to work for money. You can go to work with something different in your heart and in your head and in your mind. You can go to work with the thought that you're going to be a different person. You're going to go to work with the way my grandfather used to go to work. He, he used to go to work thinking about other people first. You can do what my dad does when he goes to work. He's, he, he retired from the school at Edgewood and then went back as a substitute teacher, which is like gonna, he's, he went from being the boss to being the janitor, you know? Like, and he, he walks in to go be a substitute teacher, and I said, Dad, isn't this weird for you to go from being a teacher to be like the lowest of the teachers, you know? He's like, oh, no, 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 I was never there for me. I was always there for the students and the teachers. Now I'm just going back in because I want that. He doesn't need the $40 a day or whatever he gets paid as a substitute. What he's there for is the people and the impact. And if, if you're going to work for money, your soul is handcuffed, chained on a daily basis. You need freedom. And it doesn't mean you need a new job. It means you need a new perspective on the job you've got, possibly. Your soul needs blessing. You can come here for that. You can serve. If you're looking for blessing in your life, if you need that, oh, that affirmation in your life, come see me afterwards, and I'll hook you up with Rick or Stacy or Glenda or any number of people or John who are serving in this place and who have constantly putting their lives on pause for other people's lives. When you do that, it will change your soul, I promise you. A little bit at a time. You need satisfaction. Satisfaction is that thought that my life is worth something. You need that in your life. And then finally, you need gratitude. This is one of the things as I get older that makes me feel really old when I tell, talk to my kids because this is what drives me most nuts about them. When they start to whine about their food or they whine about the size of their bedroom or their clothes. And I, I remember my dad saying it. There are kids in China that would love that. You know, it's that same thing we all say. But here's the thing. Here's why it happens to us who get older and older and older and why the young people amongst us start going, well, they, here they go again. Because the older we get, the more we know that gratitude isn't just about the person who's giving it to you. That if you can actually have a heart of gratitude in your life, it changes you. If you can actually stop and pause and go, well, peas aren't my favorite thing, but they're in front of me. And thank God I have them. You know what? The peas taste better. <laughs> and if you can Im immediately go, you know what? These clothes aren't my favorite, and I had to buy them at a store that's not my favorite. And, you know, but you know, it, all of a sudden, the clothes don't matter as much. And you need to know today that your soul needs to stop and be thankful for whatever it is you have. Band, you guys can come up. I've gone a long time today. If you're visiting with us, I don't always go this long. Sometimes I go longer. This is the way we end every sermon um, around here, that we, we have this time we just kind of call today, or, or what now? What does this mean to my life? And here's what it means. First, you've heard this before. This is going to make you all squirm, this first one. It always does. But it's never been more true than it is in our day. Confession is good for your soul. Now, in this church, we don't have a big box that I sit in and you come and tell me your secrets. That's not the way we work here. And the truth is, what, what you, who, what the confession you need most is between you and God. But when you get it out to somebody, now, if you're, if you're visiting with us and you don't know anybody here, you're probably not going to do this today. But if you've got something deep in the deepest part of your soul that maybe is a secret nobody knows, you will not believe the way it's clogging the stream of your soul. And you won't even understand it until you confess it, until you get it out. I'm going to give you a chance to do that today. 
You can confess to God, you can confess to me, you can confess to anybody you want. The most important person you confess to is God, but if you just keep it between you and God, it's still secret, kind of, isn't it? And it still kind of bores a hole in your soul. I'll give you a chance today not to leave here without those secrets, because the secrets are the dead fish in the stream. We can get those out immediately. Please today, if you don't hear what I said today, if you don't like the way I said it, if you got offended by something I said, that's fine. I don't care about that. What I care most about today is that you get your soul right. Because out of all the things in your life, it is the most important part of you. And it is often in our society the most overlooked. Don't overlook it. I want to challenge you today to change your life habits, your soul habits, to change the soul habits in your life. If you don't understand what I meant by that today, I went by it fast, I know. If you're kind of confused about what to do next, please don't leave here today being confused. Come see me, go find Rick, go find one of the elders, go talk to somebody today and find out what it is you need to do next. And then uh, that last line is just the best gift you can get. And that is be sure of your destination. This is the end of what the soul is, you know? Where your soul is going to spend its destiny, where, you, where it's going to spend all of eternity. The Bible says you have one soul, and your soul lives forever. It's time to be sure about where it's going. What we believe in this church and what we believe the Bible says and what we believe sincerely about God and Jesus, his son, is that Jesus came to die on the cross to give you a chance. When he died on the cross, he took the punishment that should belong to us for all the junk we've done in our life. God looked at it at that point and he said, I'm accepting that punishment that Jesus didn't deserve for you. And all you have to do, there's not a list of things that you have to check off in order to gain heaven and gain that soul redemption. The only thing you have to do is say yes. If you've never done that today, today's the day. I'm going to walk down here. Normally I go back there, but we have some fun things today. So I'm going to, I'm going to stand right down here. If you'd like to be baptized today, if you'd like to give your soul over, if you'd like to say yes to God, if you'd just like to confess today, these stairs are available. We do this a lot. Both sides, uh, you can come forward this morning and just pray just between you and God and confess to God. You won't believe what it does to your soul. Past that, you can find one of us and confess to us and we'll confess to you and we'll begin to clean the streams of our soul so that we can have the life God intends for us. Would you stand with us and sing this morning? Amazing.